turning through the first chapter of John. This, we've looked at some divine, the deity of Christ. Uh, we've looked at how Christ is truly God. And as we looked at God made in flesh, uh, Jesus Christ veiled in a robe of flesh, we have an opportunity this morning to look at one final thought. Truly, we have not exhausted these first 14 verses of John chapter 1. If we were to exhaust them, we would continue to be here for eternity. The Word of God is, inex is, is inexhaustible, and we cannot exhaust this portion of Scripture. But as we pulled out some contextual truths, we're going to look at one more here this morning as we conclude our thought on the Word made flesh, as we look at, lastly, the divine love of Jesus. The divine love of Jesus. I hope this will be a help and a blessing to you this morning. John chapter 1, let's look at verse number 14. Stand with me one more time, please, out of the respect of the reading of the Word of God, and we'll enjoy hearing what God has for us this morning. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is, before, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. But the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. God, I want to thank You for this portion of Scripture. God, I've been excited for weeks to be able to preach and to teach this incredible few verses here this morning. God, such rich power, such amazing love, displayed so openly for all the world to see. And God, I pray that you would help us this morning to know the reason in which you chose to bring salvation to man. Your great love. And God, I pray that you would help us this morning to bathe in the love of God for these few minutes to enjoy the breadth and the inexhaustible depth of, the, of your love. Help us, please, this morning to know Jesus loves us. No matter who we are, no matter what our history is, you unconditionally love us without measure. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. My last year in school, I began working for a company called AutoZone, very much like Halford's here in the UK. It was an exciting thing because I had moved from McDonald's, literally right next door to AutoZone, or uh, uh, to AutoZone. McDonald's 
paid the bills. AutoZone was very, very good to me. And they increased my pay, and it was a blessing, and I enjoyed it very much. I loved working there. I had a wonderful boss, and he uh, was a good employer. And Just uh, about a month or two before Christmas, he once again uh, paid or had my uh, raise, uh, pay raised once again. And I was excited about that, and I was thrilled that I could do something special for my family and for my, aunt, my aunts and uncles and my grandmother. I, I, I looked forward to that. I've always loved Christmas, and I, if I'm in charge of gift-giving, we always go over budget. It's just, I, I, can't, I can't stop it. It's just, I want to, I love giving, and I, I enjoy it very, very much. And I wanted to do something extra nice. I had a job. I was making a good income, still working through, still in school, but working in the evenings and on the weekends, and uh, and so I decided to splurge a little bit. My parents and uh, and I love an aquar- love aquariums. I, I love uh, 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 watching the fish move through the aquariums and such. Mostly it's fresh water. We've not gone done. We've not gone down the route to salt water or marine uh, aquariums, and so. We had sold ours a couple of years ago, or a couple of years before that, because of moving locations, and we knew the fish wasn't going, or fish weren't going to survive the long trip in which we moved, and so we sold those, and we had wanted to get another one, but we just weren't able to do so just yet, and I thought, this is a perfect opportunity. And so I went out, and I got a big 50-gallon aquarium that we could build into the wall of our living room and uh, just set up. I bought fish and all the different things that went with it, and I just enjoy just lavishly uh, 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 splurging on my family and giving my mom, dad, and, of course, brothers uh, uh, the gift of an aquarium, and it was a blessing. I enjoy doing so. But not only what I was able to enjoy uh, giving my parents uh, an extra special gift that year, but I enjoyed taking some extra things to my aunts and uncles. Normally, as a nephew, I did not give much besides a card or maybe just a few small things that we had made uh, over the years to my aunts and uncles, but I decided to do something extra special. And so I took a, uh, so I was able to get a nice huge fruit basket and uh, some beautiful bouquets and such, and I enjoyed presenting it to them. And they were very surprised, not expecting their nephew to give them uh, some extra special things. And I enjoyed doing that. It, it was a lot of fun. But that was my last year in school, at home, not paying for school like I would do the following year in seminary. The following year, when I was in Bible seminary, I was working as many hours as I could, and because of the cost of tuition and such, uh, everything was outgoing, and there was very little incoming. (laughs) Matter of fact, when Christmas came around, I barely had enough to pay for the petrol to come home, let alone to do things that I would like to do. I would like to have enjoyed spending and enjoyed giving them some extra special gifts. And as far as 
humanly, monetarily speaking. But I wasn't able to. I was able to be with the family. I was able to spend some time with them. But I was not able to provide or to give like I would love to have given. I wasn't able. The finances weren't there. Did it change my love for my family? No. I still love them. Did I still want to give? Yes, I did. But how I could express that love had limits. There was limits to what I could do. There was limits to the means that I had access to. I wanted to do more, but I could not. Love is not self-serving or self-seeking. Love isn't about bringing one to focus about oneself or about promoting oneself. Love is doing that which is right and rightly finding a way to express that love. So often today we have that very lustful love, do we not, in this world? There are teenagers and even adults that say, if you love me, you will go down a path in which you ought not to go before the wedding altar. That's not love. That's lust. Lust is not love. Love does right. Love does not cause strife with truth. Love doesn't bring conflict against truth because one that loves will act in truth. They're in harmony with one another. They connect in perfect harmony. God loves mankind. From Adam to every single person who has been given life from God is loved deeper than what you could ever begin to fathom. He loves us in such an incredible way that trying to understand the depth and the breadth of the love of God in our minds and in what we are capable of understanding would be like going to the ocean and taking a teaspoon out of the ocean and trying to discern all of marine life from that one teaspoon. You might be able to understand a little bit, but truly the breadth and the depth and the enormous, uh, 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 and the enormous nature and the limitless nature of God is beyond what you and I could possibly understand. His love is greater than anything else. His love is without limits. His love is perfect love, perfectly abiding in truth is expressed for us so powerfully in verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God expressed His love by what? By sending Jesus Christ. His great love was expressed by God himself coming to this earth, made flesh and dwelling among men and being the sacrifice 
for our sins. What great love God so wonderfully and powerfully shows for you and I. It is without limits. What an incredible God we have that loves us with such depth that it would move him to become flesh or to be made flesh and to pay for the price for our sins, not for our good deeds, not for the time in which we are most near the heart and the motive of God, but for the times in which we have sinned, in which we have disobeyed and transgressed and trespassed against the law. God loves us enough that he would send his only begotten son to die for our sins and praise God for that incredible breadth of love that was so powerfully displayed through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And of course, Calvary as the public display of love would be for all the world to see. The Bible teaches us that God displayed love through his son. The Bible teaches us and instructs us that that love moved and moves hearts. That love impacts us powerfully. And here in the following verses, verses 15 through 18, and we'll look at them this morning, it shows a powerful response to love, a powerful heart of love. I want us this morning, first of all, to see the heart that was inspired. Look at verse number 15 with me once again this morning. The Bible says, And John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. John the Baptist, as he was the precursor for the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he cried, That word cried there literally means to shout aloud. Have you ever been so excited or so moved by something that you were not afraid for all the world or for all those around to hear? This is how John the Baptist was. He wasn't afraid of the Pharisees hearing. He wasn't afraid of Herod hearing. He wasn't afraid of the rulers around. He wasn't afraid of those taxing uh, him uh, of what they might say. He was not afraid of what others may think. He was crying aloud. He's saying, this is Jesus. This is the one that loved me. This is the one that's come for me. He's come for you as well. He cried aloud. He lifted his voice up and he loudly proclaimed, this is Jesus. This is the one that is the very deity of love. He is the one that is the very expression of the love of God. This is the one that I am confident in the love of God for. This is the reason that I am confident and can boldly proclaim there's a Savior because of Jesus. John cried. John was inspired in his heart to lift up his voice and to proclaim that the expression of the love of God was here before them. But notice how this heart induced some humility. In John chapter 1, verse number 15, look at the last phrase of that verse again. This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me 
is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, if you were to look at this phrase, if you were to look at this statement in which John the Baptist cried out, it doesn't make full sense if you aren't looking at the deity of Christ. It doesn't. Because if you were to look at the timeline, John the Baptist was born before Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. So humanly speaking, if you were to say, he was before me, how could that be? It's not physically possible. Mary was not pregnant for 15 months. And all ladies are like, praise God, it's not for 15 months. <laughs> Nine months is long enough, let alone for 15 months. That wasn't the case. Mary was not conceived of the Holy Spirit of God until John the Baptist was six months in the womb of Elizabeth. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus Christ was born. And so how could John the Baptist, with a heart of love pointing people to Christ, say he was before me? John knew something. John knew that Jesus was God and is God. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse number 58 said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. This was a difficult statement for the Pharisees to receive as Jesus was speaking to them. Because with this statement, he was claiming that he is God. That's why the Pharisees hated him. That's why they wanted him to be crucified because he, they knew this statement was class was saying i am that i am jesus was claiming the deity of god he was claiming to be god here but watch this before jesus ever made this statement john the baptist said he is the one jesus is the i am he is the one that you're looking for for he is deity for before I was, before I was even conceived in the womb, Jesus Christ existed. He was God. He is God in the flesh. And he came for us. And John the Baptist gave witness of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And John humbly stated, this is the one you're looking for. Wait a minute. His ministry is older than Jesus in fact, Jesus' ministry had not started yet. And yet John the Baptist was looking at Jesus Christ. And he said, you are, he is the one that you want to follow. He is the one that you want to trust. He is the one that you've been looking for. He's the answer that you've been asked. He's the answer for the questions you've been asking. He is the answer for all of your heart's needs and desires. He is the answer for eternal life. He is all that you need. John humbly stated, look to him. Look to Christ. John would say, I am not even worthy to untie his shoes. That's some humility. But that is a love that is responding to the love of God.
say, don't look, don't follow me. Follow Christ. Follow him. Follow the Savior. Follow the Lord. Follow the one who came to die for your sins. Follow Jesus Christ, for he is God. You can trust God. He is truth. He is truth in flesh. And truly, we can look to God and we can look to Christ for the answers of our heart and life. He is the one that we can tie our identity to. He is the one that we can trust. He is the one that we can trust that will mold and make us to be like Christ. Truly, John looked to Christ with great love, responding from the love of God that the Savior was given to him just like he has been given to us. John the Baptist had a heart that was inspired and a humility that was induced from the love of God. And that love began to move a heart that wanted to honor the Lord. I want us to thirdly this morning look at this thought of the honor imparted. Look please at the direction and how John the Baptist or John looks to honor the Lord through a heart of love and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace that word fullness means completeness it means a state of having every necessary or normal part or component or step necessary there have been some who have wrongly taken this statement and pulled it out of context. Those in atheism have seized upon this very word, this very phrase, in John chapter 1, verse number 16 over the years, and have twisted it to make it state something that John never said. They would look and they would use this statement to say, see, here is John, his very cousin. He said, look, that's it. That's all there is to see. It's just a man doing some good works, some good deeds. Oh, he might inspire you to do something that is right or whole, but that's the fullness. That's, this is all you get to see. There's nothing else to see here. But that's not what John was saying at all. He wasn't looking at Jesus and saying, this is all there is just to see as just a man. He was speaking of something much further, much more into this. John was looking at God, Jesus Christ himself, and with eyes gazing upon that wondrous glory of Jesus, he looked and he said, this is the fullness of God. This is God himself standing before us. Jesus Christ is completely and fully God. He is not just a man. He is not just a person walking the streets of Jerusalem, walking the streets of Bethlehem, walking the streets of Galilee, walking through Israel and through Samaria. It's not just a man that is walking but it is he is fully god and this fully uh, and jesus christ fully god has come truly to be the price for our sins paul stated it this way in colossians chapter 1 verse number 19 for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness 
dwell. All of God is in all of Christ. Christ is all God. And God is all Christ. You can't separate the two. He is completely and fully God. There's no separating the two. And John said as Jesus came in great love and in great power, notice how he put it in verse number 16 again. And grace for grace. John was stating, God here is opening the floodgates of grace. A wonderful new grace that generations before had not fully experienced. A continuous and uninterrupted grace that was being poured out upon all of mankind through Jesus Christ. This grace was like a mighty waterfall. John and I were talking about waterfalls right before the service this morning. As we were speaking of, we were speaking of some different ones that we've been a part of or have seen and I've had the privilege of going to Niagara Falls, and Niagara Falls is a beautiful place. It's a massive waterfall, horseshoe-shaped, and just incredibly immense in the size and the power as you look upon it. But it is incredible as you watch that pour millions upon millions of gallons over. And it is never-ending, it seems. There's always water. There's always more water flowing than what one could ever capture. It is seemingly endless. And the power by which that water comes over is just immense. In Niagara Falls, they have a part in which you can walk through a part of the waterfalls below. Not the main part of it, for it would be too powerful. And you'd be swept away very quickly. But in one of the shallower parts of the falls, they have an area where you can walk through and the the waterfall will drip, in essence, compared to the other parts of the waterfall. And as you walk under it, the power in which those drippings of the waterfall impact upon your back literally takes your breath away. You're holding on to the rails with all of your strength and that water is pounding upon you and you shimmy very slowly across that walkway having the waterfall cascade there and the almost unbearable nature of just those drippings of the waterfall just blows your mind. The grace of God is incredible. And if we were to think about the incredible grace of God, it's much stronger than any waterfall. It's much stronger than anything we could possibly physically imagine. The grace of God is without limits. In perfect truth, in perfect balance. And we're recipients of that. John said grace for grace. He says you want to see the limitless grace of God. Look no further than Jesus Christ. 
the mighty flood of the grace of God has been poured out upon you and has been poured about upon me. And oh, praise his wonderful name. He is full of grace. He is grace for grace. Then we come to verse number 17. As he looks at the honor and see the impact of that honor, now he makes application for that honor. Notice what he says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I love this. Please don't miss this. This is so good. I love how John puts this. He says, the law was given by Moses. You know, if we could compare physically speaking the law to something, it would be like a giant sledgehammer. Have you ever hit your foot with a sledgehammer? If you have, you will remember it. (laughs) It will leave a mark. (laughs) You will know that it has come. Why? Because of the force and of the impact of it. It is more than what one can withstand. It is mighty in strength. And the law is like that. It's like a giant sledgehammer. And the law was given to show us the brokenness of sin. And what sin has done in our lives. And as the law is given to us, and as the law is exposed upon us, it breaks us. When I realize that I have broken a holy law that is rich and powerful, given by God himself, it's more than I can handle. And just like a sledgehammer breaking the hardest rock, it breaks us. It destroys us. In fact, there will be some who will say, I am choosing to be under the penalty of the law for eternity. And the breaking of that will be death and hell forever. A constant punishment, a constant hammer blow, if we could put it that way. A constant torture being under the law. But watch this. Jesus wasn't just the fulfillment of the law but he brought grace. He brought help. It's like a workers working together and as you're working with that sledgehammer, suddenly one sees that sledgehammer is coming down where your hand might lie. And the worker, one of your colleagues, seeing that and quickly pulling your hand away from the path of that sledgehammer before it hits your hand. That is grace. Grace pulls us out from under the law, but watch this. It doesn't pull us out from under the law, and now we have nothing to do with it, but rather it helps us now to be out from under the penalty of the law, and then it teaches us how to use that sledgehammer to break away the areas, to help the law break away things in our heart and life that are unnecessary and go against what God wants and desires in our life. You see, the grace of God takes us out from under the penalty 
penalty of sin, and then it teaches us how we can use the very holy law of God to help us to prune away and to help us to become more like Christ and to chip away at those areas of hardness in our hearts and sin and to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. And that wonderful, beautiful grace of God is perfectly measured with God's truth. It's a perfect balance. God is in perfect, complete fullness of God, full of grace and full of truth. Praise God for his grace. If it was only truth, we would all men be in a place called hell this morning. But because of his grace, we have the opportunity to say, I believe. And I receive you as my Savior. And he pulls us out from the penalty of sin, from the way to the law. He says, now let me teach you to use the law so you may live like Christ. Then, John so wonderfully and beautifully illuminates the hope of what Christ brings in our heart and life. Look at verse number 19, or 18 with me, excuse me. No man has seen God at any time. Some look at this phrase and some struggle with this very thing. John claims the deity of Christ. He says he is God, he is the I am. He was before John the Baptist was. But now he says no man has seen God at any time. But you're stating that Jesus is God. How do we reconcile these two things? If no man can see God, how can we see Jesus, who is God? It seems to be incompatible. But John lays out a perfect witness, a perfect fact, that Jesus as God is God. And God, through his great love that is without limits, can do what only he can do. You see, he can do what we cannot do. And his resources, through his great love, found a way. And that way was to take all of God and to put it in a veil and a robe of flesh. The key is found in verse number 14. The word was made flesh. It was a veil in essence. It was a way in which, yea, God himself could be shown to us robed in flesh. Major Ian Thomas put it like this. He had come, or he had to come as he came in order to be what he was. He had to be what he was in order to do what he did. He had to do what he did so that we might have what he has. We have to have what he has in order to be what he, to be what he was. Major Ian Thomas continued to expound upon this statement. I don't know about you, but I had to read that several times to try to get my mind around it. He expands and clarifies and puts it on the bottom shelf for all of us. 
It says he had to come as he came, born of a virgin. In order to be what he was, a perfect man inhabited by God. He had to be what he was in order to do what he did, die to redeem us. He had to do what he did so that we might have what he has, his life, eternal life, a relationship with God now reestablished. We have to have what he has in order to be what he was, perfect or man inhabited by God. God became flesh for us. Jesus is God. He did what only God can do. He is the only begotten Son. Notice this last phrase very quickly. Go back to verse number 18. Stay there for a moment, please. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. We're going to come back to that. Don't miss that phrase. Such rich love found in that verse. He hath declared Him. The only begotten Son hath declared Him who the Father. The Bible tells us the begotten Son declares. That word declare is the word exegesis, which means to make known by expounding. One of my family members, a distant cousin, his name is Ken. An older man, single, spirit, just a sweet, sweet spirited man. Been saved for years. He writes a Christmas letter. He sends out this Christmas letter and sends it to family and friends. He emailed it to us about a week or so ago. And as I read it, he pointed out something that honestly I hadn't really thought of. He talked about a dandelion. He began thinking and musing upon how we neglect so often to see the beauty of what we call a weed, a dandelion. We look at it in our gardens and we think, okay, we need to get this mowed out. We need to pull it out. We need to get rid of it. He said, but when you look and stop, to see the beauty of a dandelion. It is incredible. The beautiful, soft, yellow petals. The amazing nature and how those soft petals interweave together in such a thick collection. I'd make this blossom and that flower just pop from the grass and to stand out from all that's around it. He continued and began to describe on how that dandelion would then just simply, it seems to be overnight, close one night at dusk and when you see it the next morn, it's now a ball of fur, it seems. You blow those seeds and they scatter everywhere and it multiplies. 
He said, we try to get to it before it multiplies. <laughs> but when we stop and think about the beauty that is in the design of a dandelion, it's beyond us. It is incredible in nature. What did he do? Ken exegeted it. Expounded. He brought something that is common that all of us see and often try to get rid of to look at the beauty of the creation of God. This is what Jesus did. Jesus declared, expounded, brought our attention and arrest our attention to God the Father. Jesus is the way to a relationship with God. And he, in his ministry, bringing salvation to us, expounds in such a powerful way that when we know him, we know the when we know Jesus Christ, we know the deity of God. What an incredible thing that is. Jesus recalls our hearts and our attention. He says, let's look at God. Let's look at the Father. And then we have this statement which is in the bosom of the Father. This statement is filled with love. It demonstrates a condition, the fullest intimacy of boundless love, of fathomless affection, this incredible relationship between God the Father and God the Son was never broken by the incarnation by Jesus Christ being made flesh. It's perfect. And this beautiful, loving, caring, endearing relationship is what Jesus Christ brings us into with God the Father. This beautiful, limitless love of a Father endearing His only begotten Son. That love is what God wraps us in. What an incredible thing that is. How much does God love you? You are joint heirs with Christ if you're saved. He loves you with that same love that he loves his son. Think about that for just a moment. What incredible love God has given. When we become a part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, we are loved with the depth and the breadth of a perfect love. 
There's no love that can compare. There's no love that can exhaust this. It is perfect in every way. This is divine love. That love was shown to us through Christ and given to us freely. You are deeply loved this morning. Loved greater than you could possibly fathom. The depth of the love of God is displayed through Christ. We sing a song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. That's true this morning. No one cares for you like God. No one. no matter the dearest love in your life, it's only a teaspoon out of the ocean of the love of God. God loves you. It was shown so powerfully through Jesus Christ. May I encourage you this morning to begin to fathom and to begin to rejoice on His great love for you 